This episode is brought to you by Book of the Month. Book of the Month is an e-commerce subscription service that helps millennial women find the best new reads each month. Every month, they announce five new book selections on the first, and members can choose one on the site. It ships to them. The cost of that monthly subscription is usually $14.99, but new members can get their first month for $9.99 with code Be There in 5 And guys, I really love this company um, for so many reasons. Uh, one being uh, as a an author myself, their commitment to supporting new writers and debut talent, but also they've always been committed. One of the pillars of uh, Book of the Month has always been sharing diverse voices, diverse backgrounds, elevating Black voices. They have a section on their website for anti-racist education. And one of the amazing authors they're featuring this month, which you're probably familiar with due to her very successful book, The Mothers, is Britt Bennett, a wonderful Black author whose new release, The Vanishing Half, is a part of the June subscription. If you choose that book, you can choose up to three, but the first can start at $9.99 with code be there in five. And I just think this is a great company who's been committed to diversity from the beginning. And it's commitment free. There's no strings attached. You can skip, cancel. Really, it's just a great way to get exposure to a diverse array of authors, but even better to get their books early before they are released into the regular marketplace. I've been reading books two, three weeks early, um, earlier than I would get them from buying them at a bookseller. So Please go to bookofthemonth.com and use code BETHEREIN5 for $9.99 for your first month. That's bookofthemonth.com. Use code BETHEREIN5, just how the show is spelled, and get your first month for $9.99. Thanks to Book of the Month for sponsoring. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. It's Friday, June 5th. This is the second episode of this week. Um, I put out a separate episode on Wednesday. I just kind of wanted to tell you what was on my mind, speak frankly about where I've fallen short on this podcast, what I need to be better about going forward. And I don't know, it wasn't an effort to make myself or you or anybody feel better. I think we need to sit in this tension. And I, I, what I have an episode coming up about just in terms of um, like in this time of social injustice, like what's the role of us as individuals, us as those of us that have platforms and our influencers, um, what is helpful, what is hurtful. I just want to have a conversation that I don't even know what it's going to look like. And I'm uncomfortable with the topic to begin with, because I think that fundamentally, I don't even speak correctly about racial issues. Um, just on my lack of experience articulating these feelings. So anyways, I just hope by having these conversations on here, you all will feel more equipped or you will be but we'll plant a seed for you to have conversations in your day-to-day life where we can get at that root cause, at that moral center, and just start to, um, you know, on whatever level, have difficult discussions about needing to dismantle a lot of the biases that are buried in, in our brains that we discount as being there because we we don't want to look inward and think we're, we're, we've been hateful. Um it's certainly not the case for most of us, but I, like I said last episode, I think we need to look inward and ask ourselves, have we been helpful? And that is honestly my goal. And I don't need you to thank me for that episode or promote it. Please promote podcasts that are educational about systemic racism. Please promote black voices. Please focus on the people who need to, who, who need to be heard. I just wanted to take responsibility and talk to you, the listeners who come every week, who I talk to all the time and tell you how I felt, where I stood, apologize for where I went wrong, and to hopefully 
uh, plant a seed to have more of these discussions going forward and to tell you that I'm nervous to talk to thousands of people and it's okay if you're nervous to talk to one person, but the important part is to talk about it. I think that there's also a tendency of like people wanting to tie this up with a bow or look for silver linings. And I just think that's what we need to not be doing. I understand what that does for personal comfort and helping us sleep at night, but, you know, pop a melatonin and just realize that our discomfort pales in comparison to the the despair that black men and women feel every time something like this happens and nobody is getting angry enough. Anyway, this is an episode I recorded two weeks ago, and it's what I call a snorkel. It's where I go over, I draw out of a hat, essentially, different topics that uh, you guys have told me that I've crowdsourced that you want deep dives on, but that I don't, I can't spend an hour or two on, but I can spend a solid 10, 15 minutes on. So I kind of call it a snorkel where I go through different topics um, and I genuinely was drawing out of a hat because it's kind of more fun just to like, be like, okay, what do I know about this? I have one more advertiser this week that I'll do soon, and then we can just get to the rest of the episode. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I actually quite like this episode, uh, just in terms of being a lighthearted, breezy, uh, windy adventure through many different topics. And I'm going to put up some of the video footage of me recording it on Patreon. If you, I don't know if people like watching video footage of a person talking to themselves. But anyway, the one thing I'll say about this episode is that when I'm like, when I am talking, I just said like, my point was going to be that when I'm trying to work out my thoughts of something that I wasn't already thinking about, I say like a lot more. And I, the ums and the, uh, I just feel like a lot of this episode is a lot of like filler. I just said like again. I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing I've noticed because usually an episode I know what I'm going in and I'm talking about and I've thought through it more. But this just I pause a lot more and I feel like it's, I don't know, frustrating for me to listen to. And I just wanted to apologize in advance in the event you're like, stop saying like. <laughs> but I hope you don't mind this ad. If you want to be surprised by the topics, just give ahead 15 seconds. But in this episode, we go through Seinfeld, Jessica Seinfeld, Kelly, uh, Ripa, Controversy, Selling Sunset, Hangover, Anxiety. Prom themes, themes you did, things you did to get your crush's attention, uh, behind the scenes, like with influencer PR, um, Hillsong Church. I mean, there's a lot of fun topics in here, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, you'll get to those topics in one second after these words from me. I guess the, I was trying to say like after these brief words from our sponsor, but they're my words, so I don't think I can use that segue. Anyways, here's our second and final sponsor. Then we'll get to the episode and cruise on through. Or paddle on through. What, what does a snorkeler do? I guess we're swimming on through, right? Yeah, anyway. Okay. The second and final sponsor of this episode is Nutrafol. I told you about this a couple of weeks ago. This isn't the type of product I typically endorse, just in terms of in the supplement realm whatsoever. And there's a lot of different things out there um, in this category, but this is actually something that's affecting me. I feel like my hairline's receding. I feel like my hair's thinning out. And when I started to get my hair done more for shows and whatnot, people kept putting like halo extensions and recommending things. And I was like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like myself. I would, I wanted to figure out like, is there something corrective or preventative I can do to just have stronger, thicker hair period. Um, that isn't like a gimmick. Right. And so many women that I respect, I've seen endorse this from Brooklyn blonde to Rachel Zoe. And I um, just, I don't know. I got interested earlier this year and they, offered to support the show and give you a promo code if you're interested in trying it out as well. 
I haven't done it for long enough to tell you definitively within like the trial phase, my own results, but um, it's been incredibly effective for other women. I'll tell you a little bit more about it. Nutrafol is is formulated with uh, potent botanicals and it's physician formulated to be 100% drug-free as in chemical-free. And what's uh, I think is interesting that you can do to kind of get more familiar is visit Nutrafol, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com and take their hair wellness quiz and they'll kind of give you customized product recommendations and um, help you figure out how to get control of, of hair loss uh, back into your hands in terms of what you can do going forward. You, if you subscribe, you'll get monthly delivery so you don't miss a dose. I'm sure you're like, well, does it work? And I know I can't tell you specifically, but 77% of women saw improvements in just 90 days. If you're interested in trying along with me, I have a code. And if you want to support the show, you can go to Nutrafol.com and use code BETHEREIN5 for 20% off. Again, Nutrafol.com, use code BETHEREIN5 for 20% off. This is a pricier product. 20% off is a very good offer. So if you're at all interested, please consider. Um, again, that is... 20% off at Nutrafol.com, promo code be there in 5 their best offer anywhere. N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, use code be there in 5 for hair as strong as you are. Okie doke, now here's the snorkel, recorded two weeks ago. I don't know, I don't feel this upbeat right now, but I, I, I hope that, you know, that you, I, I still hope you're able to enjoy it, even though we have more important things going on in the world. Love you. I'm going to draw from the hat and try to keep each topic under 10 minutes, ideally shorter, because I want to get through as many as possible, and we're just going to see what happens, okay? So I'm shuffling. I swear, th this is more fun for me to do randomly, so I'm not picking them intentionally. Well, obviously not, because this probably wouldn't be the first one I picked, but I'll answer it. This person wants me to elaborate on... Um, the rift in the friendship of Kelly Ripa and Jessica Seinfeld. So Kelly Ripa of Regis and Kelly and Kelly and Michael, um, and now Kelly and Ryan, she and Jessica Seinfeld were like thick as thieves, best friends, called each other sisters. They were everywhere together, you know, summering and Positano, Greece and the like. They were best friends and also thrown in this mix, actually, were um, Howard and Beth Stern. Uh, to the point where Mark Consuelos, I believe, officiated Howard and Beth's wedding. And um, at some point, like I think 2016 to 2017 era, they unfollowed each other on Instagram, deleted photos, and they've never been seen together since. And they just stopped talking about each other. And they used to like gush about each other. And nobody knows what happened. I mentioned this on Instagram. People were like, what? The thing is, I don't know. I don't have any like details i i can guess but what i thought was interesting is you know considering kelly and mark consuelos being so close with stern to the point where he officiated his wedding the sterns sided with the seinfelds and the sterns and seinfelds are still friends and the only only things i've heard stern say about kelly is just in regard to how she handled um michael strahan's departure childishly i guess you know how she didn't show up to work for a week because she found out like five minutes before the show aired that Michael Strahan was had left and gone to GMA. I don't understand that all of that. Like, I when you read more about how Kelly and Michael weren't actually friends, I'm like, how can you manufacture that chemistry and just like gab for an hour and not actually like each other or not really have a friendship? 
You know, I would think you'd have to spend time together behind the scenes to a degree, but Michael's made it clear that they really didn't. He He's pretty positive about her overall. Well, no, he's not positive. He's just like, won't say anything bad. He's just business-like about it. And if anything, he's just said that um, he felt more like a sidekick than a partner. I don't know. And like her, her and Regis haven't talked since 2011, right? I, that's what I read. I don't know if that's true or maybe they saw each other for some anniversary thing, but they're not close anymore. And I don't know. There, sometimes I don't know much about Jessica Seinfeld other than she got sued for allegedly copying somebody's cookbook because she had a cookbook called Deceptively Delicious that allegedly ripped off recipes from another woman who had a book come out six months prior. But I'd argue um, your book has to be turned in six months before it comes out. So she probably wouldn't have seen it. But uh, it was about like baking vegetables into food so kids don't know it's there. And um, the only other thing I really know about her is she left, she was married and left her first husband after a few months. Uh, they, she had like a big wedding and like a big to do and a European honeymoon. And uh, like, you know, it was all like kind of documented and seemed happy. And it was very, a very new marriage. And she left like up and left him to marry. Jerry Seinfeld. Um, so I don't know the exact timeline, but I remember that being like kind of a scandal. I kind of liken it. Didn't Miranda, didn't something happen with Miranda Lambert, but kind of the, the with the groom, like he left his wife uh, that he recently married to be with her. Maybe I'm mistaken. I, I don't do celeb gossip a ton anymore because I don't know. Like this is so, so unfounded. I have like literally no proof of this other than the fact that they, that um, uh, Kelly and Jessica just, like wiped each other clean off of social media, which says plenty. Um, there was a blind item about this that said, in blind items, they're like um, anonymous tips for celebrity stories, usually on crazydaysandnights.net, on blindgossip.net. This is blind gossip. I don't read them a ton anymore because I feel like they're always kind of, I don't know. I feel like they're uh, they're either a huge reach, not enough of them come true, or they're just like running out of material. Like I think C-Dan, Crazy Days and Nights used to be really, really good when it was more like this guy dabbling. But then when he kind of moved to doing this full time, I think he has started kind of grasping at straws. But the way blind items are worded is it, just, it says like their occupation and not who they are, but it makes it pretty obvious. Um, so that's why this is worded kind of funny, but it says this TV girl seems to have trouble holding on to friendships. Neither of the two men with whom she starred on a long running TV show, one after the other will even speak to her. Then there's that wife of a famous comedian TV and wife were besties for years. They took family vacations together, dressed alike, posted lots of photos together on social media and referred to each other as sister. No more. They stopped following each other on social media. Their families are never seen together and they're avoiding each other at charity events. They hate each other now. This is a quote. If you see either of them in person, don't ask what happened to their friendship. They will simply turn their back on you and walk away without answering. It's left their mutual celebrity friends in the awkward position of having to choose up sides. So, you know, we know Andy Cohen, Anderson, Cooper, Team Kelly. Um, we know the Stearns or Team Seinfeld. I need to maybe like do an infographic map on my iPad to like look at how these friendships break down. But um, whatever it is, it was big enough for... I don't know. I don't like what I need to. I what I also don't know is the timeline of it relative to the Strahan thing because I do know that Jerry Seinfeld and Michael Strahan are friendly. I don't know if they're like best friends, and I don't know if like that would be reason to leave your best girlfriend. She was kind of blindsided by the network, but I think there might just be like a deeper story here because that's the problem when, it, 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 like, if 
when people have multiple enemies, I just assume they're the problem. You know, maybe you've been slighted by some people, but like, I just think there's types of people that are constantly having to cut people out and like have all these enemies. And then there's people that just like, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, I, I, maybe I've been lucky and nobody's screwed me over in a, in a meaningful way. And I, I totally believe in, you know, cutting toxic people out of your life where you see fit. But I also totally believe in not being overly invested in your friend's lives because it's your friend and it's their decision and it's not yours and they don't have to listen to you and they can make their own calls and they can make mistakes and you don't have to, you know, insert yourself to the point where you're acting overly affected for somebody's problems that don't even affect you. I, I get irritated when people overly insert themselves when, when it comes to friends. I get family and I get if like somebody really needs help, but even watching Selling Sunset over the weekend um, well, that's like a separate tangent. I should probably wait to get into. Long story short, no, they're not. They were very close. They're not friends anymore. Stern sided with Seinfeld. I um, only keep mentioning their involvement because they're the only people that like are proof, further proof of the rift. And the only other thing that I saw on blind items, it was from 2011, which is like six years before they were no longer friends. So keep that in mind. This is highly unlikely. This is all allegedly. I doubt this is true because I don't see how you could hide this. But this is the only other thing I found on their friendship and like the the gossip websites. Um, let me find it. It said, this is from Crazy Days and Nights, December 6, 2011. This could be very awkward. This pair of celebrity couples are best friends. They hang out all the time. Each member of the celebrity couple is actually a celebrity. One married couple features an A-list comedian and the other celebrity couple features an A-list television host. So what happens when the husband of the television host is sleeping with the wife of the A-list comedian? Can they still hang out? What about the new project the comedian and the host are working on together? Will that still happen? Do they know? Apparently not yet. Obviously, that's about them and suggesting that something went on with Jessica Seinfeld and Mark Consuelos. I don't know, guys. I I, I, I don't believe in much, but I, I believe Kelly and Mark are for real. I don't know anything about Jerry and Jessica. I like comedians in cars getting coffee. I'm not like a Seinfeld diehard. I like the show, but like, I mean, him as a person. So I can't really speak to that. So take take from that what you will. But what I was saying earlier is, you know, if you have multiple enemies, which apparently Kelly Ripa, I don't know, she's just a person that has had feuds with several people, including Bachelor Nation, and um, Michael Strahan just does not paint the most kind picture of her in terms of being welcoming as a co-host, which really bummed me out because I don't have a problem with her at all. I, I Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know who if Jessica has riffs with people, so I can't really speak to this fairly, but that's what I was talking about on Instagram. T-L-A-D-R. I actually did that in under 10 minutes. Wow. Progress, guys. Uh, to snorkel on my own tangent, that, do you guys watch Selling Sunset? It's a, like, it's, a, it's a reality show on Netflix that's like The Hills Meets Million Dollar Listing, but add 20 years, and it's made by Adam DeVello, the guy that made The Hills. And it's so <laughs> comically dated. I was convinced there's I there was a conspiracy and this show was filmed in 2012. And if it weren't for like one joke made about saving the turtles with plastic straws, I I, I wouldn't have known. But also one of the characters, Chriselle, she was married very briefly to Justin Hartley from This Is Us, who, you know, right after they got married, they got the biggest break of his career. So who the hell knows what happened with that? And then one girl's dating Tarek from HGTV's Flip or Flop and looks exactly like Christina El, Mu El Musa. Um, and it's just like, 
they've been dating for two weeks. Like the kids like call her mommy, but like she looks like she's not discernible from their mommy. So I'm not really, you know, it's just, I guess, not surprising. But it's this fascinating, um, it's like this group of really successful women in real estate, but they don't really highlight their financial success or real estate acumen. God, no, no. All they do is fight and undermine each other and worship these tiny bosses they have that are two bald men and they only have these like really attractive women working in their real estate office and what only seems to me to be like a very like hills lisa love teen vogue vibe um like fake office with like these restoration hardware spaceship desks and like I, it's just the whole thing's so cheesy and weird but the biggest thing of all is that they the way they dress is why i think this I, I'm confused. It's like a time capsule. I, I just don't know what about like the Hollywood Hills or whatever did not age past like art and B couture, you know? And the, but the thing is they're wearing couture, but it's like, I, I don't understand it. You know how when it's when your whole essence is, is a going out top. They, they dress like cocktail waitresses for like an 11 a.m. open house. It, they, they, this one girl wears platform Louboutins that are so high, she has to go downstairs backwards because she sells, you know, homes in the hills that have, that are like on cliffs. Um, the, you know, when like a dress is like skin tight and ruched, like shoulder to knee and could debatably be for a nightclub, but then like also has a cowl neck. And you're like, where do I wear this? It's that kind of thing that's like a kind of sex secretary, kind of cocktail waitress, kind of going out top, Honestly, if your entire personality was based upon capturing the essence of a 19-year-old in line at a nightclub with a fake ID, but you were actually in your late 30s, early 40s, like that is what it is. And it's really confusing to me. And it's entertaining and I couldn't look away, but it's so, so fake. It's like comical. And I don't know. It's like, I guess, I don't know if the Hills guy thought he would make more reality shows, but I feel like he kind of shot himself in the foot when they revealed the Hills was a set and was totally fake. But, um, I mean, the drama is just insane. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Everything they fight about is getting mad about not getting invited to stuff or being told stuff. And as adults, that's totally fine. Not, you're not, you don't deserve to be everywhere and you don't deserve everyone's private information. And I just don't understand when friends fight about this stuff. I don't know. It's it's so ridiculous. Like, I, this is highly paraphrased, but this one character, Christina, is trying to do like the Dorit Kemsley mega glam. She has a lot of unidentifiable metallic products in her hair. She, but it's just, it's not as, it, Dorit's is just, it, I was going to say it's effortless. It's far from effortless, but it's, it's, th there's taste, right? And this is just, a, it's it's just this nightclub femininity that like, I don't understand. It's It's this prime, like Kim Kardashian getting in a fight about, you know, her, the new rims on her Bentley before Chloe goes to jail. It's like that era. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm hopping in after the fact here and uh, selling sunsets, such a topic that's like so two weeks ago. <laughs> Doubt anybody cares. But if you're looking for a show this weekend, uh, the one of the black businesses I wanted to call out that were mentioned in the Facebook group one being Aesthetic House, E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C-H-A-U-S. It's in Wicker Park. It's in Chicago. It's a Black-owned waxing and facial studio, and they're incredible. Uh, mentioned by Jesse, who's going to be on, Jesse Bernhardt, who's going to be on the episode either next week or the week after. Somebody mentioned a business called the Zen Succulent. It's um, owned by a woman named Megan George. It's a staple in the Raleigh-Durham community. Houseplants are so hot right now. 
downtown Raleigh. Her store was um, it was looted last weekend while she was home nursing her six week old. This is a black owned business to support if you're in the Raleigh area. Pink Sugar Austin is an amazing black owned bakery and sweets shop in Austin. Semicolon is a black owned uh, bookstore in Chicago, which please, instead of Amazon and the like, um, support independent booksellers if you can. Uh, my friend Rachel has been working on a project for Chicago Birthworks Collective this week. They're providing pre and postnatal care for black women in Chicago. You can donate directly where the funds go toward helping women afford their birth packages like doula services, breastfeeding education, et cetera, or contact them to donate baby essentials. And right now they're administering care packages to black moms on the South side. Uh, since all of their stores have been destroyed this past weekend and they have way less access uh, to a place to buy them. So it's owned by two local black women and a mother or daughter. So please go to chicagobirthworks.com. And I'm going to continue reading some of these as we go through the episode. Next one. This says, hangover anxiety and replaying convos in your head. Um, Totally. I get this so, so badly because I love deep talks, especially when I have, you know, red wine in my veins. And I'm always having a great time, um, like in real time. But then the next day I feel super weird about it. And I'm like, did I ask too many questions? I think about the things I said or how I came across I, I I don't know. I leave the next morning after social function. I like basically assume I'll never be invited back. And the thing is, I'm not like a wild drunk. I'm as tame as they come. If any, I would never like, you know, I mean, I'm sure I did in my early years when I was, you know, trying to get on elevated surfaces and I was just you know, being knocked off of bars and tables by sorority standards like a goddamn whack-a-mole. Um, but nowadays it's, if anything, I'm anxious about, it's just something like verbal and casual. And I don't know if anything actually ever really happens, but that like Sunday after is usually like so uncomfortable. And I convince myself that I have no friends and everyone hates me. And I just feel like always feel really weird about it. And there's some people I I feel more weird around than others. And I don't know why. And it's, but even though it's always fine in real time, but, um, I, I once read, um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to get better about quoting my sources because I have a, whatever the ear version of having a photographic memory is, I, I like, I remember words and sentences that I like really well, but I never, like, I have no internal bibliography and I'm fearful of turning into Rachel Hollis. And then I, sometimes I listen back to these podcasts and I'm like, I hope these are original thoughts. You know what I mean? Like, they always are my original thoughts, but it's like, I think that I, I don't know, it's sometimes my word bank. I'm like, where did I pull that from? Anyway, no, I was not reading a novel. I was reading Reddit and it was probably some username like down to clown 6969. But uh, the quote was, social anxiety is like believing in conspiracy theories about yourself. And I thought that was like one of the most poignant things I had ever read because it's true. It's you know, I, one of my other favorite quotes that I have no idea who it's from. So let's just say who everyone thinks every quote's from Marilyn Monroe, Audrey Hepburn, or Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, to use your mind is more of a window and less of a mirror and anxiety. Well, not controllable whatsoever. Um, I trust me. I, I know you can't think your way or reason your way out of anxiety, but I think sometimes social anxiety and hangover anxiety, it is a little bit more attributed to, um, the, the withdrawal, right, of the substance, the alcohol, which is a depressant. And, you know, I try to, like, physically think about removing the mirror and, like, not looking inward so much that I'm overthinking my 
actions because at the end of the day, everybody's just thinking about themselves. And when you have this immense social anxiety, like everyone hates you, everyone was talking about you. Uh, you know, I love to think of it as a conspiracy theory because it's just so unlikely. And like other conspiracy theories, you were using such an intense cognitive bias to tie together unrelated things that have to do with you and only you that have nothing to do with their individual separate life, which you should really be gauging it on what they're actually doing and not your perception of what they're doing. And um, you can make up whatever you want if you, you know, go down a rabbit hole of choosing to only look at it one way and of believing your own fictitious thoughts. And um, I just thought that was like an interesting way to look at it. Because especially, I mean, like, are you kidding me? I have social anxiety when I walk away from this podcast. I, I'm like scared to call my friends and family. I don't know what I said or did. It's like, I don't know. I That's the hardest part about this job for me is the constant feeling like, well, I get to quote something. I, I can't find this exact quote, but it was in Euphoria, Euphoria, the TV show on HBO. And I feel like I already told you this at one point, but she said like Zendaya's character said something like, on the internet, 10 people feel like 10,000 or something. And it it's so crazy how, a, like, a couple people coming at you, you're, you, like, the anxiety it produces and the fear and then the convincing of yourself everybody hates you, the not knowing what to do. It's like, the words, it, it's, it's crazy to, in this position, to feel this on a larger scale, independent of a hangover, because... Any and all hateful words that people send your way, you then convince yourself it's how everybody feels. And then the conspiracy theories turn into something so big and real to you. You're like expecting your face to be plastered across Shane Dawson's next thumbnail, you know. Um, but anyway, so I just wanted to share. But honestly, with hangovers, I'm not a person that tries to like, I don't know, get up and get out and live my life. I order or if you can go get it. I don't have a car, but I will get delivery of a Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich, an extra large regular Coke, doc, regular Dr. Pepper or sweet tea, huge thing of fries, and watch something so consuming that I forget my social anxiety exists. Uh, something that makes me ragey, like watching Christian fundamentalist YouTubes. For example, Girl Define, Nathan Sutton, Paul and Morgan, all fantastic rage content if you ever just want to you know, have a 30-something-year-old white dude tell you you're going to hell. You know, who doesn't want to hear that on the Sabbath? Some Like, I hate hangovers, but I kind of like the afternoon post-hangover when you don't feel bad anymore, but you still feel licensed to chill. I just, I hate that I just said that. I, what, is that it? It's a Jimmy Buffett album. <laughs> I hope in this hat, I, I draw parrot heads. I have a lot of thoughts. I, I, I really hyper-specific fandoms with really specific looks about them are so interesting. Um, and I can't imagine looking out into a crowd and seeing my life's work and being so incredibly proud, but everybody literally has a giant rainbow colored bird on their head. Um, or like insane clown posse. Is it, wait, yeah, their fans are called, called juggalos. I've, I've only seen a few in the wild, but I looked this up on Google and according to the National Gang Intelligence Center, there are more than 1 million self-proclaimed juggalos across the United States, and it's estimated that 85 to 90% of self-described juggalos are peaceful, non-criminal music fans. I just think it's a really interesting subculture, and I've, like, I don't know, I because one of the first times I saw a juggalo, I was at, like, a gas station, and, like, from behind, it's just a person. You turn around, you have a full face of clown makeup on in broad daylight. It like it, it, it's black and white makeup that's almost like the band Kiss, but it it's looks. Uh, they're called Insane Clown Posse, 
Um, and I, that's like a little bit startling in public. And I just, I don't know, it's it's an interesting subculture if you ever want to deep dive. I, I, that's not something I'm going to snorkel through, but I'm fascinated by devoted fandoms. It's like one thing to wear something to a concert. It's another thing to adopt a lifestyle as the result of one artist. I don't know. I mean, I'm like a Swifty, but I don't wear my darling. I'm an adult dressed like a preteen shirt constantly. I only wear it to Taylor Swift concert. Okay, the next Black-owned business I want to shout out from the Facebook group. One's called The Tiny Tassel. The person who nominated it, Tarina, said she doesn't have a personal connection, but it is an awesome accessory site, and I don't care if you have a connection or not. I, I love to support something you love. TheTinyTassel.com for cute accessories. Kelly, who's a Facebook mod, said that her former um, coach and her friend, who's an amazing marketing and design coach, Letitia Lynch Designs, that you can find at LetitiaLynch.com, L-A-T-E-S-H-A-L-Y-N-C-H.com. I just stalked her Facebook page. She has a design studio. She does branding and websites. Looks amazingly talented. She's based out of Atlanta, but works with anyone anywhere. Thanks for telling us about her, Kelly. Um, Education with an Apron is an amazing resource for teachers and parents who's putting out amazing content right now, helping families have the talk about racism. That's Education with an Apron. You can find that at educationwithanapron.com. And I hope you don't mind me breezing through instead of like doing a few formal ad spots. I just want to like talk, tell you as many as possible. We'll continue to do so. This says Brittany and her candles. <laughs> Tim Batani and I already talked about this. Um, well, I guess there's not a ton more to say. I mean, other than what like one thing led to another and she did burn down her gym. But again, that was the third candle fire she's been a part of. And honestly, the thing I was thinking of, I've always wanted to have like a consulting service where I help brands capitalize on fleeting pop culture moments in a tasteful way. And all I'm going to say is I just think this is a huge missed opportunity for um, Smokey the Bear, right? Like we all know McGruff, the crime dog, the, you know, take a bite out of fun, really, even though he was taking a bite out of crime, because I think he was also like policing drugs and alcohol uh, kind of needlessly in the suburbs, if you ask me. I just I feel like this was a huge missed opportunity for Smokey the Bear to just like sweep in on Twitter, remind us only you can prevent gym candle fires. And then his brand awareness skyrockets. We're all more mindful of fire safety. It's a win for everybody all around. You know what I mean? So you know, am I concerned about Britney? Yes. Um, was that one of the funnier things she's done since skinny as a needle? Yes. Uh, but, I, you know, you guys ask me to deep dive on her all the time. And I just don't know. Like, I don't have enough detail about the conservatorship. And I do think she she stopped emotionally developing at like 18. And I think it's a little bit sad. And um, I don't know. It's like, I can't trust somebody that rolls their Sophie's twice still. And for that reason, I guess I shouldn't trust Addison Ray, but she's America's sweetheart and I freaking love her and her ceiling fan's a goddamn icon in addition to Dave Portnoy's rooftop. <laughs> the inanimate objects made popular by quarantine. Addison Ray ceiling fan, Dave Portnoy's rooftop. All right. The next one is things you did to get your crush's attention. <laughs> uh I mean, answer, covered my face in blush to pretend I got some sun over spring break because everyone came back from their spring break cruise like 
super hot with hair wraps and braids, which I don't know how I feel about now, or like a, you know, it was like a big fashion show showing off the place you just went, whether it was a Jamaica Me Crazy t-shirt or like a Hard Rock Montreal, everybody came back sporting merch. And, you know, while exotic, Hilton Head, it wasn't exactly revolutionary for, you know, a mid-Atlantic middle schooler. So I took matters into my own hands and I didn't so much as have a freckle. I I didn't have I didn't have the type of tan that would make all the boys be like, damn, you changed in South Carolina. So I went to my mom's bathroom. I took blush and I put it on my forehead, cheeks, nose, under my eyes, on my chin, just around my entire face. Um, Because if I was fair and didn't typically tan, I didn't think that'd be realistic. But I wanted them to know I was like out in the sun, like total beach bum. Like obviously ask me about, you know, all the things I bought at the boardwalk, like the Katie's parking only sign and the puka shell necklace. I mean, I guess it's a little bit darker that like another year I did a full on like thread hair wrap, but my spring break destination was like our garden hose, you know? So like, I, I couldn't like say, you know, th- that was a little bit more uncomfortable. This time I actually went somewhere and I had nothing to show for it. And making myself bright pink was the best I could do. And did it, you know, hook my crush, hook, line, and sinker? Absolutely not. If anything, um, I think that people thought I was having a massive allergic reaction. And as sexy as that is, it was not effective. Um, Let's see, other things I do to get my crush's attention. Um, I mean, lie and say I'm like a huge fan of classic rock when really I just like memorize the titles of three Led Zeppelin songs on Napster. I'm like, oh my God, I love Black Dog. Um, I, you know, put up vague and semi-emotional away messages that could maybe be about them from artists like Train, like the song Meet Virginia. You see her confidence is tragic, but her intuition magic because that's stable. Um, Obviously, I think in my buddy info, not away message, like I was trying to intrigue my crush, not only with these beautiful, stunning lyrics that cut so deep, but also by displaying my knowledge for good quality music and not the mainstream stuff. Not like I'm just listening to Shaggy's. It wasn't me. Like, no, I am listening to Screaming Infidelities because I am deep. I am dark. I am straight edge. And I go to youth group and as for now, I'm going to hear the saddest song and sit alone and wonder how you're making out. But as for me, I wish that I was anywhere with anyone making out. Ugh, your hair is everywhere. Let's see. What else have I done to impress my crush? I just had to pause because uh, I was trying to film. I don't know if I'm going to use it, but I was out of frame. Um, <laughs> let's see. What else have I done to impress my crush? Um, I mean, we talked about this before. Like, you're only as, you know, your outfit's only as cute as the number of people that see it. It's only as effective as, you know, your crush getting an eyeful. And obviously, you know exactly in between which periods you pass who in the hall. Whom? Who? And, uh, you know, you hope for the best. But if somebody's lost in conversation, turned around at their locker, you can't always guarantee people are going to see you when you look fierce as hell. So you have to take matters into your own hands. I frequently would try to attain a hall pass. If the day was drawing near and I hadn't seen my crush and I looked awesome, I would claim I left something in my locker and or like, you know, fake an injury, whatever it took. And, you know, I had people's schedules memorized, my crush's schedules, not because I'm crazy, but because I'm efficient. And uh, I would just get out in the middle of class and I'd pass the person's classroom knowing where they sit and just hope to make some brief eye contact. I was doing them a favor by showing them how great I looked because 
like, I don't know. And some teachers are more strict than others. So this wasn't always doable. And like, if one day you're looking extra fierce and you're layered tunic tank top and tank tops, honestly, two, two is better than one, ideally lime green underneath a white. And you were wearing like a metallic shrug that had like these, those like shiny discs and almost was like interwoven with tinsel, <laughs> you know, FU7A pocket jeans and uh, half up, half down hairstyle that just screams. I listened to Hillary Duff's metamorphosis, <laughs> maybe like a, a double like layered necklace with like some chunky sort of like geode or like, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? They, they, they had like a delicate gold chain in between, but every like six inches, there was just like random rocks. I used to always wear those with my nicest shrugs. Anyway, if you were wearing that and you hadn't seen your crush at the end of the day, you had to take matters into your own hands. And like, honestly, at that point, I would just pop out a contact lens. What's the teacher going to say? You, you, you're not allowed to see. It dries out. Like time is ticking. As I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, if you ever need to get out of a situation, for, you know, whether it's tense, emotional, or whether you just look fierce as hell and need somebody to see your outfit, the only way unanimously somebody will let you out of a room is if you pop out a contact lens. I don't know why I give you guys all, give you away all my best secrets. <laughs> all right. So Jill in the Facebook group, she wanted to shout out her friend's local Chicago business. Um, it is called Denobi Detergent, D-I-N-O-B-I Detergent. Love that it started in Chicago with um, starting with a Need for a unique product that would be gentle enough on her baby's and her husband's precious skin when doing laundry. The mission is to encourage, uh, have a natural one-stop sh one shop detergent that encourages cloth diapering and bounces ammonia while maintaining the integrity of the diaper and the baby's precious skin. And the mission has since evolved to accommodate everyone and every anyone and everyone with precious skin who may not be able to use everyday products. That's D-I-N-O-B-I detergent.com. Also want to shout out a business that, you know, I feel passionately about, which is, of course, wine. Um, Davidson Wine Co. in Davidson, North Carolina, is the first urban winery in the area. And they're amazing. Great feature on the owner. Um, and winery from last year is on TravelNoir.com, N-O-I-R-E. And it's talking about the black woman behind North Carolina's newest urban winery. It sounds amazing. It's in Davidson, um, but it's also considered, at least in this article, black-owned business in Charlotte. I don't know. I don't know that area well enough to tell you um, where it is. Oh, it's just outside of Charlotte. Okay, got it. But less than one percent of winemakers are black women. Less than one percent of the people who create wine we love are black women. We must support black-owned wine businesses. And Ohio native Lindsay Williams is one of the latest women to be included among that number. I love that. Please visit davidsonwineco.com. Let's see here. Prom slash homecoming. Um, I mean, there's there's several layers here with homecoming and prom. I mean, well, first of all, there's the dress. And obviously, you guys know, I can only speak from like middle class suburbia standpoint. But um, having like a pretty quintessential public high school experience, I can tell you this. You know, there's us regulars that go to Dillard's Hex, Sears, Belk, and the like, and hope for, you know, ho hope a friends and family discount, something you cut out of the paper is going to get you one of Jessica McClintock's finest. Um, at a reasonable price point, do you run the risk of wearing the same thing as literally everyone there? Because, you know, Jessica McClintock's nothing if not saucy, and anything that was 
deep V revealing high slit you weren't going to get to buy. And you know, usually the other kids wouldn't either. So there was like three styles to pick from and you all were wearing the exact same thing. Um, that's how the commoners had to shop. Then there's like another tier. The rich bitches at the mall shopped at Cachet. They had like J-Lo, like a knockoff of J-Lo's um, Versace, like green scarf number that like made her famous. And, and I mean, obviously she was brilliant in Selena, but you know, when she walked the carpet with P. Diddy, that was kind of a moment. Um, they also had at one point like Kate Hudson's uh, like daffodil colored how to lose a guy in 10 days gown from the, uh, you know, De Beers ladies frost yourselves i always think of that and then this the girl in the street goes frost this and i'm like who would respond with frost this um i love how to lose a guy in 10 days who thought that like fool's gold was going to be like kate hudson and matthew mcconaughey deserve better um so yeah it was like you know dillard's cachet and then there was every town has like this this one-off boutique um with some woman's name like Deirdre and and there's a book like a, like a guest book in the boutique that sells like 250 plus dollar dresses for to wear one time at a high school dance and um every girl who buys a dress has to sign the book and say what dress they're wearing so you make sure that nobody else at your school wears your dress and it's just like of course the elite like of the one percent like of course they're the only ones that get to show up and not be wearing the exact same thing as somebody else is it fair no did it teach me a lot of lessons about life yes do i still feel like the person that is cutting out coupons trying to get jessica mcclintock's finest from dillard's absolutely but i'm happy that way i think i've learned you know there's people that splurge for fleeting things and there's those of us that love a bargain and i love a bargain and I'll, i'll never change but i think a favorite air of mine especially was when the dresses like they they were two pieces and it was some super bedazzled, you know, corset top with just like a zipper up the back. It's just basically like a, a tube top, but made of some shiny material with some light boning and um, light boning. Another thing that happens at prom. Um, and then like an A-line full length skirt. And it, they're just so ugly in retrospect. But I thought a two, I thought if you had a two piece gown, I just thought it was the most stunning thing I had ever seen. I I marveled. And honestly, the ones I thought were so beautiful look like that girl's $800 bridesmaid's dress. I posted a photo of it on um, Be There in Five Podcasts Instagram because it's so funny. $800 for a bridesmaid's dress. And uh, when I looked it up on the internet, it's actually a uh, wedding dress that is red that that girl's friend had them buy. But anyway, I mean, obviously I love the dresses. Obviously I love a hairstyle that's way too mature for your age. I I love a uh, you know 14-year-old with a french twist. I I I love my favorite homecoming and prom looks are people that can't drive yet that are going to their first dances and that are really really dressed up and they really really like haven't grown into their features and it's like very obvious how young they are and I think it's really cute. And those are the photos of myself that make me laugh because I went and got my first updo in ninth grade and I was on a mission. I wanted my hair like rolled in cornrows. And I wanted the back to be curly, you know, I just seen she's all that. And um, I demanded there be baby's breath. And I vaguely remember them trying to put some greenery in my hair and me having a slight meltdown. I pulled it out. And um, then I got into my dad's car and I snagged uh, my the front of my hair on the hook where you like hang like clothes. I don't know. Does that make sense? Um and it came out and then they didn't, they were so like slammed with homecoming appointments that they like, couldn't fix it. So I just had to like, buy, it was, it was awful. It was, 
And it's like those things where you're like, I am so stressed. I was 14. Like I had nothing going on. Um, but yeah, the best part of that was like, if you didn't have curly hair, you could like take out your updo and then it would be like all voluminous and crazy. And you'd be like, yeah, my hair is just like, I don't know when I hair dried, it's curly. All I wanted was to be like, you know, have curly hair, to be tanned, to like just have something about me be like interesting or like natural looking or like I just didn't ever feel like I had anything that was like unassumingly beautiful. Hence why I wrote that poem. Um, and uh, anyways, whatever. Uh, curls were very, very cool. Like scrunching your hair was like the shit. But I also love um, like there's something so charming about trying to get a reservation for 34 <laughs> Like, what a nightmare for the staff. In retrospect, I'm like, did we tip? Like, who paid for that? Like, I don't even, I don't know. I, it's kind of funny, too, because the, I, the way I view restaurants, it's like some people, you know, did the, the more of the chain vibe, the Olive Garden type place or like a local midsize chain. We always went to like a place called the Grapevine. Um, but then like the kids that shopped at Cache or like the boutique like Deirdre's or whatever, um, they probably, you know, went to a place called Kabuto, which is hibachi. And uh, we all know in like middle and high school, catching a shrimp in your mouth is akin to, you know, getting a, a, a touchdown in front of everybody on a Friday night. It's so freaking badass. Um, one year we went to a country club and people brought in airplane bottles and just like slipped them in the sodas, which I'm like, oh my God, for teenagers, it's so bad. So bad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The dinners are hilarious. There's so many people and I can't believe there's places that accommodate that many. And I wonder what people in the city do. Um, we like in it's, there's always drama with like what group is going with what group and ours at times would have like literally 30 people. And we didn't get limos that I don't think I ever got a prom limo. Like obviously we all know like Elsie and Lowe. I believe Elsie wasn't Elsie and Lowe's. And like Morgan and Christina, the first season of Laguna Beach, after their prom, they sang goodbye to you in the back of a Hummer limo. And then Kristen, Alex and the gang, they sang since you've been gone or it might that might be the reverse. But both had very emotional limo scenes that I was envious I didn't get to experience because I'm pretty sure I just traveled to dances in like a Ford Windstar. It's just like, I mean, I've talked about grinding at length. There's an episode called, is it Bath and Body Jerks where I go, where I read the letter from DJ about DJ Vag and the Connecticut high school where they banned freak dancing. Oh my God. I, I was hyperventilating while I was reading it. I was laughing so hard. I, I mean, I just, I love grinding. I love freak dancing. Like all the kids these days are going to be at school dances being like doing, I'm doing this TikTok dance where you pretend to be shy by putting your fingers together and almost making like a paper football goalpost. It's so strange, but people are going to be doing all um, like, waist up dances because that's what you see on hip hip hop but in the early 2000s it was all waist down it was full on linebacker hand down ass up you know next too close usher yeah little john low it was like if you're not grinding you're not vibing and you the key is you get in such a big cluster of people it's not really clear who's backing it up on who and that way you don't get in trouble as much as the people on the outskirts, the people on the outskirts are probably doing more like of a box step and tap snap thing. And they maybe are just going as friends, but the people, you know, you're trying to impress your crush. If the, you know, obviously the classic rock knowledge or the, <laughs> the, you know, sunburn, or um, perhaps the dashboard confessional lyrics don't work out. Your next best bet is to bend over. <laughs> I definitely like, I'm just one of those people that even if my entire life, I've wanted to be cool and deviant and like I get in with like a fun crowd and I do something bad once 
feel guilty about it for eternity um, and never do it again. Or I just like, it's like, even, even as badly as I wanted to be cool, I'm not the type of person that would ever on any planet be comfortable, like disappointing my teachers. So if you're in front of, you know, school personnel, I, I wasn't really able to get as loose as I might've wanted to. Um, what you do at like an after party, for example, and who, who, the people who host these after parties in like early high school, it was like not kind of a non-starter because I wasn't allowed to stay out that late. But like the after dance stuff in late high school, I can't even believe parents would throw these parties. And my parents were onto it. And I definitely got in trouble for going to one. But like it sucked because I wasn't allowed to go places where boys were sleeping over. But a lot of parents' methodology was like, you can only have people over. And if kids are drinking, I'm going to take their keys and they have to sleep over. You know, like I'd rather do it in the house, that whole thing. Um, so then I was kind of like left out of the occasion entirely. But the key is, yeah, you align with a friend who has a basement, a few second fridge money, and has an, it needs to have an exit door to the outside for swift entry and exit of, you know, the contraband, whether it's, you know, some Mike's hard or, you know, some natty light. And uh, it's like everybody buys six or like, you know, I feel like people would like get people to buy them the exact amount they knew they needed because it wasn't about enjoying it. God, no, it's like you just get drunk, you like play power hour. Um, and then you get your grind on and the after parties were always like the funnest part, but it is a little weird when you're like, you know, a teenager and it's like after the party's the after party, after the party, you have to call your mommy because you need a ride home. <laughs> also, I just went back and looked on my phone because back in March, I'd asked people their like prom theme because I think proms in high school gyms like that are all named a night to remember or like so funny to me um I pulled up the Q&A box to read some of them like this person's okay a lot of people had movies like movies that were cool at the time this person was a walk to remember like you wouldn't have a dance theme now that was like the fault in our stars it's so sad I, I mean I, I I don't know what was that song that she sang it's a song that Christina S from Laguna Beach High whose dad was the pastor at the Crystal Church, she got an... <laughs> I love, it's one of my favorite TV scenes of all time. She got an audition for Broadway um, with this woman with the spermiest arch brows I've ever seen. And her and Morgan, the Mormon girl uh, that worked at that boutique, um, went to New York to try out for Broadway. And she can't sing at all. And, and she <laughs> sings this song from a walk to remember. And it is like, mm, it's the most perfect scene you can probably find it like a year ago in my uh, Instagram feed. I posted a video of it, but just look up Christina Broadway, Laguna Beach. And, you know, if you ever, you know, that's a video to put on repeat if you're ever feeling hangover or anxiety, social anxiety, because at least you didn't do that. <laughs> this person said we had banquets, super conservative Christian private school, no dancing, no touching. Honestly, I could have told you that by a banquet. Nothing sexier than a banquet. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you put an EON on lunch, it, it becomes unfun. Like, I'll go to a lunch, a luncheon. No, thank you. Um, a lot of class of 07, 007 license to chill, which is hilarious because I literally said that earlier. And these are, I'm saying, <laughs> honestly, that's probably where I got that from. But I was thinking, I was like, why was I thinking about a Jimmy Buffett album? This person said, not a theme. We had a mom embezzle funds. So after prom, I had to change locations. Honestly. I, she could have taken the 007 theme too too seriously. You never know. Um, 
um, 03 was a moment like this. Is that when Kelly Clarkson won American Idol? That's really funny. <laughs> American Idol is so important to the zeitgeist. Um, it's like, oh, five was invisible. Clay Aiken. <laughs> uh, this one is another, another song theme. I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith. Honestly, the only thing that Armageddon had on Deep Impact was Aerosmith's involvement. Because I'd argue Deep Impact is the finer film. But Armageddon definitely had more marketing dollars. And I don't want to miss a thing. It's a fantastic song. And it's not the worst Brown theme, but I just am like, I don't know. Is there like, a, is there like an asteroid? Was, was it a space thing? Unclear. One person said, I'm yours by Jason Mraz. Like, what? Okay, that's just a, that's a bummer. That's a dance floor boner killer. I'm, I'm yours by Jason. No. <laughs> like, oh, our prom theme was Bubbly by Colby Calais. Like, no, thank you. Um, it's your love, Tim McGraw Faith Hill. Why are you guys proms named after songs? Another a moment like this. A Night in Paris. Standard. Parisian Night. Standard. Masquerade. Then A Night in Paris. <laughs> Paris Nights. At least they changed it up. A Night in Paris. Um, 90% sure my brother's was My Heart Will Go On. Hashtag Titanic. You know, I struggle with this. Titanic is... It's like the, the lore surrounding the movie... You know, we fantasize about these fake characters, and it almost makes us think the um, actual event was fake. But, like, it was very real, and people did die. And I don't know what the statute of limitations on something being sad is, but I do struggle with when, you know, how casually we approach some of these events. Also, I've really rethought Titanic recently, and I'm like, okay, I take my 17-year-old daughter on a cruise. She, let's just modernize it and say she wasn't engaged to uh, Billy Zane, but like, let's say they were seriously dating. We bring my daughter's boyfriend. They're 17. Um, I, you know, spend my life savings. Where I, I work hard. I try to get her, you know, a, a nice, or family nice quarters where there's like a view and a balcony. And, um, you know, she thinks it's too stuffy. She's not having fun. She's not enjoying the seafood tower. It's, you know, she can't possibly be bothered with the wealthy conversation amongst my friends. So she then goes to the basement, plays a light game of poker with the people that are like down in the bunkers with like the, I don't know, Travelocity deals or something. And um, she meets a guy and then essentially they go and he takes nudes of her. It's like taking taking nudes like selfies is today's equivalent of draw me like one of your French girls, basically. You know, what you'd use, you, it, my old job, we called it best screen available. Like, you use the best screen available, the best method available. And so after she sends nudes to this guy she just met at this poker party, you know, down in the Expedia wing, um, she goes and has sex with him in a car. And then, you know, resurfaces at some point, only to be mad at me. I, are, you, are you kidding me? That, that that would never fly. And I know Rose's mom was kind of a bitch, and, you know, she she did have some organ crushing going on with her um course it but i just think at the end of the day like i know we we really want her and jack to be together and i know we feel like they belong together but put yourself in that position on your average carnival cruise line and titanic you know the love story of a century suddenly turns into my worst nightmare oh my god another moment like this ours was a zoo but the most important part that it was held at the fireworks warehouse <laughs> a zoo theme at a fireworks warehouse wow what a time to be alive. Um, Optimus Prom. It was a big year for Shia LaBeouf. I can't get over how unromantic Transformers are, but whatever. A <laughs> um, Ticket Around the World. We had, had a really involved prom, which had different themes. I mean, that's cute. It's Epcot vibes. 
You and Me by Lifehouse. I love that song, and that gave me very realis- unrealistic expectations about love, and I support that. Kiss by a Rose. <laughs> oh, that was, wasn't that like the top single of 96? What is that song about? There, I, there was a huge argument about All My Life versus Amazed by Lone Star. Wow, 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 wow. That is a real Sophie's Choice if Sophie's Choice was about two people, and that was the wrong phrase to use. Um, amazed. So All My Life is my wedding song, obviously. I'm partial to it. Um, but Amazed is like, has this country and depth intensity that at the time felt dire. All My Life is a song for the ages. Amazed is a song for that time when like the Edwin McCain of it all, you know, it was like Edwin McCain, Lifehouse, Goo Goo Dolls, Iris, um, you know, Amazed by Lone Star. These songs were just these, these like men with these you know, kind of grisly voices, you know, strumming and singing about their love and these amidst these incredible metaphors, like the strands in your eyes that color them wonderful, stop me and steal my breath and emeralds from mountains fall from the sky, never revealing their depth. And it's like, what? I can't even get somebody to write hags in my yearbook. Um, So I am partial to perhaps amazed, but only because all my life, I think, you know, I I want more of a time capsule than um, something that is timeless you know, for prom. Drops of Jupiter. (laughs) I love the idea of a space theme, but it's called Drops of Jupiter, even though that kind of has nothing to do with the the space. Um, My middle school teacher asked my BFF out on a date at our high school graduation. Now that's what I call a night to remember. (laughs) Yikes. That's gross. Oh, Tropical Art Deco with Ferns. That's very Beverly Hills Hotel chic, and I'm assuming you graduated in the last five years. One Night in Paris. Happened to be the same year her sex tape came out. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Our prom song was imagined by John Lennon. It was 1997. Not current and pretty depressing. To be fair, Gal Gadot did the same thing to us in 2020, and it was depressing. Hearing celebrities whisper sing about imagine no possessions, you know? Like, come on, that's not what we needed for coronavirus relief. And it was like, well-intentioned, but like something about that Imagine song will forever trigger me if I, especially if I hear somebody whisper singing it. Um, Side note, do you guys remember, like, I don't know, another away message tactic to get your crush's attention is to say you're in the shower and you're like, shower. And like, wink face, like, ew, that's so strange. And you just like hoped they'd be like, ooh, wish I could come. And it's like, gross, you're in eighth grade. But like, this is the this is the pervy stuff that the youths do. And I, I don't know if this is, it's still this way. But I mean, I was certainly, I mean, I didn't like, you know, whore myself out necessarily to use a word I hate, but I was an attention whore to use a term that I love that maybe we should revisit <laughs> if I'm being honest. But Okay, want to shout out some more Black-owned bookstores because I shouted out a Chicago one named Semicolon. But while there are a lot of us reading anti-racist texts, um, actually, I should tell you about some of those too. Uh, Like The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, uh, The New Jim Crow Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Uh, I mean... I'm trying to think of some one of my one of my favorite books ever is Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Um, also, there's two books by white authors. One's called White Fragility and one's called Evicted that I think are definitely worth reading as well. And some of the bookstores shared by a member of the Facebook group, Kara or Kara. I apologize. I wish I knew which one it was. I'm sorry if I'm saying anybody's name wrong. 
um, in Decatur, Georgia, Brave and Kind Books, in South Bend, Indiana, Brain Lair Books, Afroware Books in Maywood, Illinois, Detroit Book City in Detroit, Michigan, Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C., Uncle Bobby's in Philadelphia. There's another one in Philadelphia, Hakeem's Bookstore. And uh, third in Philadelphia, Harriet's Bookshop. Bay Area, California, A Shea by the Bay, ESO One Books in Los Angeles, The Lit Bar in Bronx, New York, Cafe Con Libros in Brooklyn, Frugal Bookstore in Roxbury, Massachusetts, just to name a few of where you can buy those books from. And I'll share links to these places I mentioned in the show notes as always. The um, list of books themselves will be in a broader Google Doc with a bunch of different media resources. This one says, medium-sized influencers worrying about revenue but buying expensive stuff on lockdown. I think I answered this on Instagram. Because I was like, by medium, do you mean medium as in following? Or like medium, like, you know, uh, you know, Sigma Chi Derby Days t-shirt, you know? Because in which case, yes, I am a medium. And yes, I did spend $75 on IVL um bike shorts and you know do i need to be doing that when i've had a lot of advertisers drop out no did it feel urgent anyways absolutely because bike shorts are leggings but shorts and more people need to get on board and i don't know why we're having such a visceral reaction to them to me this is not the same as the tie-dye phenomenon bike shorts have been around since the beginning of time like i'm a former volleyball player like i'm here for them and also like a lot of people wear bike shorts all the time including cyclists uh, I did accidentally buy a pair from Amazon that came with butt pads, not to accentuate your ass, but rather to literally pad your butt from sitting on a banana seat. And even though I looked good, I just, I had to return those. So I'm still waiting to do my formal review. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that um, we, you just never know people's financial situations. And I think too, toward the end, I was kind of like, wow, I've spent no money in two months. Like I haven't done anything. So then I even started shopping more just to like bring some joy into my life. You know, the serotonin release of a, uh, you know, forever21.com checkout. You just can't beat it. Just kidding. Well, I did actually buy some stuff from Forever 21 because I like their um, packs of stud earrings and their ear cuffs. Okie doke. Ooh. Oh, this is a left turn. Hillsong. Oh, fun. I, have I gone into Hillsong? I have not spent as much time with Hillsong as churchofjesuschrist.org, but I can I can talk to it. I can spitball here. Well, I'll try to keep it to 10 minutes. What's what, what actually, but I haven't actually, that's what's funny is that just now I realized, uh, that both things did to get your crush's attention and prom. I did that. Those were so long. I totally forgot the entire point of what I was doing and I'm sorry, but what's funny about this is like, I'm so interested in like any and all things with like semi for lack of a better word, cult, like followings of like religious entities. I have a note in my, I have this note software that I have like thousands of tabs in of things I'm just interested in that I've not even talked about. I should play roulette with this notes app. That's a lot of like stuff I've written and never published. It's got all sorts of things. And I have an entire tab just called Hillsong that I haven't visited since probably the fall. I'll just read you some points that's on it. If you're not familiar, Hillsong was probably famous in the mainstream because it's like the church of Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez and Chris Pratt. Justin Bieber was famously baptized in a bathtub of an NBA player's house by Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz. He is a pastor that he's the type of pastor that like wears $5,000 shoes has like the latest Supreme 
limited edition Louis Vuitton hoodie, you know, like the kind of hypebeast streetwear that's really limited edition. These pastors get their hands on, they wear it, they wear really expensive clothes. They're not, they don't take a vow of poverty, like a lot of religious leaders. But the origin of Hillsong is an Australian Pentecostal megachurch. It's all over the world, but um, they started in Australia. Now they're in 21 countries and um, have around 112 locations now. The reason I have a note on them is because I'm obsessed with them monetarily because they're very much in the prosperity gospel um, of the persuasion of like, even if you don't have money, if you tithe, if you donate to the church, God will will reward you in spades, which, you know, uh, if that were true, I would invest heavily uh, as part of my diverse portfolio, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, Hillsong Church. Um, I have no problem with tithing. I have a problem of pressuring people independent of their financial situation, regardless of debt, regardless of the state of your family. You you feed your family's mouths first. You take care of your own. You take care of your health. You, you, that comes first, I believe. And then you give to the church. I understand there's a nice faith-based element of something you know, something uh, spiritual in terms of the ROI one would receive on physical currency in this earth, bringing you something spiritually. But the way I believe, I do not think it works like that. That is a big issue I have with the Mormon church. They literally tell you on the churchofjesuschrist.org that before you feed your family, you must pay the church. And then the church doesn't disclose their financial statements. They have over $75 billion of assets. They invest in the stock market. They have shopping malls. I don't understand why a church needs those. I don't understand a church's need for a such a vast financial portfolio period when there's so much suffering in the world. And the percentage of the overall net worth of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that has gone to humanitarian aid. They will, you know, it sounds great when they say millions and millions, but when you actually look at it as a percentage of the overall net worth, it is very small. I'm not going to tell you the exact number because I don't have the source at the top of my head for the snorkel, but this is something I've always wanted to dive into but haven't because I don't know if it's disrespectful. But if I'm being honest, I think it's really fascinating in terms of a tax-exempt organization that really should be focusing on you know, pay for your overhead, pay for your staff, pay for programs for fellowship. You know, if this is if this is a, a, a faith-based organization, a, non- a nonprofit, non-tax, if this is a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they are Christians. They, they, they it is a subset of the Christian faith. Um, I was c- corrected about that when I put out the Mormon Mommy Bloggers episode, but I never said they weren't Christian. I'm still confused by that. But um I don't know. I just feel like any, I really don't understand why all of this cash, all of this margin is being profited. If you're a literal nonprofit, you're not being taxed on it. Like if this is based on, if this surrounds Jesus, like your resources should go toward the poor, toward the hungry, toward suffering, toward hospitals, toward schools, toward, I mean, and these are things they do, but the the amount spent on it is so small relative to the net worth. And, And you can't get, you can't, if you, I mean, I <laughs> if you have, don't think I've spent a, stayed up all night at one point look, digging into the financial statements of Catholic Charities of Hillsong of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints dot com. Well, but but they won't. The Mormon Church does not release their financial info, nor do they share it with the people in the church that donate to it. It's all so bizarre to me, and it upsets me. And it's it's it has nothing to do with the the religious beliefs. Is kind of why I feel like I'm not being too intrusive here. Even though I know it's an important tenant, 
and there's aspects of tithing that are in the doctrine in any Christian faith. Um, I think that the way they do it specifically is more so like a procedural outside policy thing that I feel like is on the table to discuss because I just don't understand on what planet you sh- they they an organization worth billions and billions of dollars thinks they deserve your money before mouths should be fed before you pay off debt even if you're in debt they say you should tithe that's in, that's wild to me that is very wild to me and I understand that it's more every I talked about this on Instagram one day and everybody that was trying to fight me about it. A, gave me some anecdotal example of being in a really awful situation, choosing to put the money toward tithing and then it turning around and then it becomes like, okay, well, correlation, causation, you know, it's like the, the, these things are not necessarily related, um, but okay, I'm not going to take that from you. But then also people were saying that um, it's more about like your commitment. It's like being, it's a showcase of having to prioritize something of committing to the church of like, it's not about the money itself. And I'm like, well, if it's not about the money itself, then don't make it about the money. There's other ways to show your commitment. I don't know, guys, there's a, there's a song called, I want to give the Lord my 10th, a children's song. And I'm like, did Chris Jenner write this? Like what, wh- how, why are children singing about tithing? It's, it's, it's all upsetting to me guys. And I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I really am not. And I don't know what my fixation with the Church of Jesus Christ is, but I just feel like as a Christian faith with all of these policies that I are otherwise, like even tithing well encouraged is optional. You're not excluded from anything if you don't tithe, at least at the churches I grew up in. That, mind you, I haven't spoken about, you know, lovingly at all. I don't agree with most of the things they do, but at least I was allowed to participate in sacraments, even if I couldn't afford it to pay a tenth of my income, even if I was in debt, you know? And, you know, not saying this is related or this is what's happening at all, but like I've I've just heard that there's this thing, if you withhold something from somebody unless they give you money, what do we call it? Coma City uh extortion. Anywho, um, back to Hillsong. It's it's very like cool and young. But it's very conservative Christian church. It promotes pretty fundamental beliefs. Beliefs, um, you know, Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the savior. Baptism is the means of salvation. Um, life begins at conception. Creationism is the origin of mankind. Um, they are also similar to the Mormon church in terms of, they, they've previously said God does not affirm a gay lifestyle. They don't allow members of the church to get married they deny gay people basic civil rights uh but still say like it's cool if you're gay which to me is just a performative element of like not wanting to seem homophobic but they totally are if they're denying your right to get married i mean it's like insanity to me but yeah prosperity gospel is basically it's it's encouraging people to tithe and to donate in the church to the church even if it causes financial ruin in exchange for salvation um, I, they make a lot of money. They've, <laughs> I think in 2017, oh, Hillsong Australia alone had over a hundred million in revenue, um, which is a lot of money for the church. And, uh, they explicitly state in their FAQs that it's not required, but it's based on a biblical principle and strongly encourage. And, um, the Sydney Morning Herald called Hillsong a money-making machine and they do things like text tithe to 525252 in their like mega church auditoriums. It's interesting. I could get a lot further into Hillsong and homophobia, but 
For the sake of this discussion, I feel like the more popular topics is um, kind of the celebrities involved. And I believe this, this, these are my notes from a while ago, I believe from Reddit, which sucks because it's inherently anonymous and like I can't really, I don't really know how to give credit to people. Um, in a 2015 GQ profile, Hillsong pastor, NYC, NYC-based pastor Carl Lentz said, people say we cater to celebrities and I say, yes, we do. Celebrities deserve a relationship with God. Celebrities deserve a place to pray. Um, he somehow dissuaded and invited the criticism at the same time. Uh, they've been talked about in Cosmo and People, TMZ, the paparazzi's follow, like paparazzi follows, which is kind of weird. The Kardashians have been seen there, Kendall and Kylie Jenner, Justin Bieber, Haley Bieber, Selena Gomez, Haley Steinfeld, Nick Jonas, Chris Pratt, Kevin Durant, just to name a few that have attended. Uh, Justin Bieber is probably the most notable in terms of, uh, at one point, didn't Post Malone like call out Justin Bieber for giving like millions and millions of dollars? Shoot, I wish I had this written down, but I'm trying to snorkel, trying to breeze through. Um, and it's just kind of, I just think it's a weird thing where they, I think they deliberately use celebrities like as a tactic, which is just such a weird and modern way to get people to the church. That is just not a normal form of evangelism whatsoever. Uh, but if you like idolize these celebrities and they're hawking the worship music and the beliefs and there's paparazzi outside the church, I mean, it's kind of interesting, but oh yeah, Post Malone said, uh, Justin in a 2017 Rolling Stone pro- profile, he said Justin Bieber's gotten super religious recently, real culty. He's referring to Hillsong, a mega church that Bieber belongs to. It's not culty, post girlfriend interjects. He says it's a total cult. Malone continues, he's already given them like $10 million. Those are the worst kinds of people. I used to be super religious. I believed in God, but now I see through it. It's nice to support something you believe in, but I, I guess, but people are spending so much money and God doesn't care that your church has an effing gold roof. <laughs> It's interesting because, like, uh, while I agree with that, you know, I look back on, I think about the Catholic Church and when you go to cathedrals in, um, you know, if you go to Western Europe, like, half the landmarks, people tell you to go see are these cathedrals. And I think about St. Mark's Cathedral and, uh, you know, Notre Dame and uh, Westminster Abbey. Well, that's Protestant. But, like, the churches especially older churches in um, like old world cities are so elaborate and there's like real gold leafing and the mosaics and the art and like they're made in this intricate, highly expensive, highly valuable now as an asset of the Catholic church. The the kind of the intricacy involved and the artistry involved was like a seen as a form of worship. So it's like, I don't want to discount that, but also it does seem crazy if it's about the worship to do so in these beautiful places. But then I'd argue the only reason I even go to church sometimes is because I like to sit in a beautiful place and kind of meditate, you know, like atmosphere does matter. I don't know how to feel about that. I'm just saying a lot of stuff. Actually, my initial interest in Hillsong was because one of my husband's friends texted me, I think, who's a basketball fan and wanted to ask me like, what's the deal with this guy from a pop culture standpoint? Because in what year was this? At one point, NBA player Kyrie Irving, he had a controversial trade request from the Cleveland Cavaliers um, that allegedly was influenced by Carl Lentz, the Hillsong pastor. And according to TMZ, church sources tell us that Kyrie, who's been an active member for a long time, met with Lentz earlier this month 
about his desires to step out of LeBron, LeBron James' shadow. Um, we're told Lentz didn't tell Kyrie to leave Cleveland. Instead, he listened to Kyrie's concerns and encouraged him to make a decision he felt was best. Just over a week ago, Lentz, Bieber, and Irving all hung out together at a Dave and Buster's. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to read that. I do not hate a Dave and Buster's. The one in Chicago closed down. Um, I don't hate an arcade, you know? I don't hate an adult Chuck E. Cheese. Did, there wasn't there a controversy that during quarantine the Chuck E. Cheese was trying to make money and they like changed the name on like DoorDash or something to make it seem like they were another pizza place? It's messed up. But anyway, um, my Greg's friend texted me about that, being like, "Does this guy is this guy really influencing NBA trades?" And I was like, "Well, uh, yeah." He, the Carl Lentz at one point was like moving serious dollars around the pop culture sphere because he's the one that convinced Justin Bieber to drop the remaining dates of his Purpose World Tour. And the Purpose World Tour was when he was singing songs off his album like um, Love Yourself and Sorry. And like, this was when he was crushing. And I don't know what was going on, if it was drugs or whatever, but uh, or exhaustion, but like something went down. He decided he needed to like focus on his faith and take time off. And it was largely driven by Carl Lentz, Lentz and like millions and millions of dollars were lost in him stepping down which is just an interesting, I don't, I don't know the background at all of why Carl Lentz wanted him to do that, maybe to focus on his faith or whatever, but clearly this guy's influence. I follow an account on Instagram I really like, and I encourage you to follow as well. I think it's called Pastor Sneakers. It just highlights the very expensive sneakers worn by <laughs> modern, uh, like, cool church pastors, if you will. I mean, hipster types being leaders of the church is not new. Like, as we talked about in True Love Waits, like, the mark of a youth pastor is either like innocence in a, in a polo shirt with an ill-fitting khaki and just you're, you're like, you're so cute and you, you're so innocent. You like don't, or you're almost like, where'd you come from? You're so pure and handsome. <laughs> or it's in my experience, again, these are largely white males in like assemblies of God style megachurches who are either these like sweet, handsome yet semi-cherubic type of men that seem to have lack experience in the world or like studded belt straight edge wearing a shirt that's like his way instead of subway um almost like pete wentz hair not to be confused with carl lentz hair which he is more of a high and dry uh and it's like kind of like the more straight edge listens to like modest mouse that was the type of youth pastor i encountered in my day i don't know look up brian the sexual assault case against brian houston the co-founder and his finances something i don't have enough time to go into right now look up the gq article about bieber getting baptized in a bathtub look at their financial statements there's there's a lot there um that I, it's probably worth deep diving into at some point but again i don't want to like insult anybody i just have personal beliefs on prosperity gospel i have personal beliefs on denying basic rights i have personal beliefs on um the way pastors pay themselves on tax-exempt organizations and how the money is used and the lack of requirements and oversight and how much leakage there probably is there yeah i, I you can believe whatever you want but also if you are operating like a business and not being treated by su as such i do think that is a problem okie doke Left turn. I went through uh, the Black-owned businesses that you guys asked me to share in the Facebook group. Please reach out. Happy to give free ad space, especially if you 
even if you're, you know, like bloggers or businesses, influencers or businesses, I am, I would love, love, love to shout you out. Uh, last topic I'll do today is this person wants to know about influencer PR and PR gifting. I'm going to go, let me go. I actually even, let me go to my notes because I have, um, this is a frequently asked question on that survey I, I did for influence at the time of COVID-19. And then I can kind of answer more questions on this topic. And as I snorkel, it's an interesting thing that I kind of understand. I kind of don't. So there's the brand that's gifting. There's the influencer. And in between are these PR agencies. And some PR agencies are, you know, more niche and people can work with multiple different, you know, third parties. Some are more full service than others, like Zapwater, that where Jen Lake works from her under the influencer in January, which I know you guys loved. Um, for like regular PR slash gifting, it's a combination, I think, of who the brand like might interact with or pay attention to and know of just as like the big bloggers in general. And also PR companies have lists of people that they will do gifting for that I think they just kind of broad strokes give like geo-targeted bloggers in a certain area or like they probably have lists of bloggers with certain psychographic characteristics and blah, 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 and pick who gets what. I think that a lot of the bigger brands especially rely heavily on these PR agencies to target influencers that they already have in their database. There's different third-party data, you know, systems that allow you to vet influencers. But what I've noticed is if I get on one PR list, then I'll get more stuff from that same agency. Like even though it would have been cool to get cats from Taylor Swift, I had previously gotten the last Christmas promo box. So I was on, you know, clearly I was on some list for a uh, movie studios PR company. God bless. Um, And then some like for I guess it's it's totally different. Like my friends that are full time bloggers get so much mail. It's overwhelming. It's borderline a problem uh, just in terms of like having so much stuff in terms of waste a lot of times there's um like you know there you can donate as much of you as you can with like clothes and some accessories and stuff but a lot of you know shelters won't take um full-size bath products they have to be travel and you know that's why people are always giving you know stuff away to their friends and a lot of times people sell stuff on poshmark which i think if you sell things on poshmark that you got for free, you should 100% be donating to charity. And I feel pretty strongly about that, but I guess each their own. Um, I know a lot of you guys have questions about the ethics of that. I think it's wrong. And um, I think you should, you know, if you can give it away to a friend or family member or a friend of a friend or something that'll, you know, you, you, I whenever one of my influencer friends gives me presents, I'm so excited. Because especially at a lot of times in life, like I wasn't buying a $40 eyeliner. And if Jess Sturdy would give me one, she got sent. I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Um, but I do think that, yeah, there's an interesting abuse of se- uh, selling stuff that was gifted that I think is super bizarre. But beyond that, um, yeah, I, I basically think that the OG, the well-known bloggers of a certain stature, people are just a, a aware of and whether the brand or agency identifies them, I don't know. But also, if you can get in on one list, you'll start to get see yourself get more and more stuff. I've gotten emails from influencer agencies asking for an updated mailing address. So I've been targeted by the agency themselves. I've, um, when, you know, Courtney and I have privately pitched to like work with somebody um, in an advertising capacity, sometimes they'll be like, we don't do podcast ads, but we'll send you something. Then I give them my address. It really totally depends. A lot of times, um, 
people DM or email me and offer to send something. And I always feel so awkward. (laughs) I don't know. I feel bad. Uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like people assume people won't pay for stuff. And if I like it, I will. But if you want me to try it, like, sure. So in like, I have a PO box that's on my website and stuff that you can look up. So sometimes stuff goes there and I don't really know where it's from. But um, yeah, I think it kind of depends. Like my, when my book came out, my publisher had like PR lists with people on it. But I also, I kind of took advantage of the situation knowing that people get on PR lists and don't always know where mail comes from. But for the people my publisher didn't have, I was just like straight up on Zillow, like looking up you know, the, the the person's husband's name because it was more, you know, distinct than theirs and maybe used for privacy reasons and therefore the deed would be in his name and sometimes it's public record. Like, I, I went deep to find people and I and that's in a whole other side of um, influencer marketing is if you are a small business, small brand, or, you know, somebody not working with an agency, you have to personally find these addresses and that is not easy to do and you have to DM everybody individually for it and people aren't always wanting to do that. So yeah, I don't care because I have a PO box, like I said, but, um, and I think too, I get a ton of those DMs and, um, will forward, you know, just tell them about my PO box and thank them. And then I kind of forget and move on. Cause a lot of times I never get anything. And a lot of you guys asked, why do people act so surprised if you gave somebody your address? And there's been a few times that's happened for sure. Like I got a tart box once, which was the best freaking day of my life. Cause I love tart cosmetics. Um, and anything makeup is like the best day of my life. Oh my God. I think the most excited I've ever been is this Charlotte Tilbury box. It got like a full, her face cream is so good and it's so expensive and it got a travel size and I like probably cried. Um, I, I like, that's kind of what I love more than clothes and like bags and shoes is I love, um, like products. And, uh, that's certainly a big category for influencers, but I'm not on a lot of cosmetic lists by any stretch because I'm not a beauty or fashion blogger. So I'm kind of an influencer that is probably not, it's like, I'll share stuff on stories, but I'm not going to write a blog post about it. So I can't, you know, I can't do it so much, but yeah, sometimes when I get stuff, I knew it was coming. Sometimes I forget that they ever reached out. Occasionally, it's just a total random surprise, or maybe Courtney's given them my address. But I do think that um, more often than not, influencers are getting gifting from PR agencies, and they're not like necessarily giving people their direct address over DM. The big ones, at least. Uh, but it made me laugh that you guys, guys were like, "Why are you so surprised if you knew you were going to get it?" Like, I got sent a tie-dye sweatsuit last week from Worthy Threads that is, like, so, so cute and so comfortable. And it's just nice and high quality. And, like, I was obviously excited, but I didn't look too much into it. And then when I got it, I was like, holy crap, this is really nice. And so then, like, that, I was excited about that. And then, you know, in talking about it, that comes across. So, honestly, it's so kind anytime anybody thinks of you. It's, I, I don't get sent enough stuff where I'm, like, annoyed by it. Um, I'm always so excited if I can, you know, promote somebody's brand. Um, my favorite ranch brand did finally engage with me and they said they were going to send me something and I was really excited, but they sent me an envelope of coupons, which is really nice. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I was hoping for ranch and that's a funny thing where that's so nice to send me as a customer, but that's not something that's shareable, you know, like, so it didn't really work from a marketing standpoint. So it is interesting, but I think of another question was what's like the weirdest thing you've ever gotten. There's been a couple times where I've just been sent keychains, which is like super nice, but not like the most shareable thing. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, anybody I advertise for on the podcast, I get sent the product 
first. Obviously, last week's I haven't been, I was sent it first, but I didn't want to lie and say I've been using it the full um, amount of time required to show effectiveness for the um, hair supplement. So, yeah, but I mean, Liquid IV sends me stuff. Um, Helix sent me a mattress. My God, that, that's written, that's a line in my book about uh, selling memory foam mattresses. It's like such a token influencer thing. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I hope that answers that question. Anyway, guys, I hope you have a good weekend. Take care of you and yours. Check in on any of your black friends and business owners, local businesses, people who have lost their livelihood from the past week's events, people who participated in the last week's events who haven't been feeling heard, people who, you know, are willing to engage in discussions, keep, keep it up, keep having those hard conversations, even if they're unwilling, actually. And, um, you know, just remember going forward, the important thing is to not return back to normal as it relates to thinking these um, issues aren't our problem, right? Anyway, guys, uh, I wanted to play a song that I played last night on my roof and I like wept. Um, It was my first time out of my apartment in three months. First time I had a drink outside my apartment in three months. And I went up to the roof by myself. I didn't go with my, my husband was working and I met up with a friend. Um, and I, w- the, it was, there was a full moon. And I always think about Tor- Dorothy Jane Torkelson from the Disney show, The Torkelsons, that turned, then turned into the spinoff Almost Home with Millicent Torkelson and the gang. It also had Chucky e. Lee, who was also, he was in like Full House. He's like such a, in Boy Me- no, he's in Boy Meets World. He was Minkus in Boy Meets World. That's right. Oh, he was in Full House, too, for a moment, I believe. I think it, he went by Derek. Nope, I'm thinking something else, somebody else. Don't listen to me. My I, my brain is mush. Um, but he was Mingus. And Millicent Torkelson just, like, casually ditched a couple of her kids in the spinoff almost home. They never addressed it. I hate when TV shows do that. But that's why we love the 90s. Anyway, I sat on my roof, looked at the moon. I was thinking about Dorothy, Dorothy Jane Torkelson and how she would talk to man on the moon. It was kind of her form of prayer, and she went through a lot of hard times and financial situations and always talked to him, and it just stuck with me as a kid. And then I played the theme song on Instagram, and I got so many DMs from you guys about how emotional the song made you. And I agree. It just hits different right now. It really hits different. Um, I don't know. Uh, so I want to play that for you. This is like such a such a weird, like upbeat episode that I recorded earlier, but like it's just not how I'm feeling right now. And I feel confused by the whole sentiment, but I hope you at least enjoyed listening to it. Um, please support the Black Owned Businesses mentioned, nominated by members of the Facebook group. I will uh, link them in the show notes with uh, the resources I linked in the last episode. That includes a Google Doc that's pretty comprehensive of media to consume if you're looking for things to watch this weekend. I think one of the most more transformative things I've ever watched, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, though, is that, that documentary, um, the 13th, about the 13th Amendment. Support the show by supporting our sponsors, Nutrafol. Use code be there and five for 20% off. Bookofthemonth.com. Well, that was Nutrafol.com. And then bookofthemonth.com. Get your first month for $9.99. With code be there in five, just how the show is spelled. And you can support amazing authors like Britt Bennett. Um, there's also a book called One to Watch by Kate Stamen London, The Last Fight by Julie Clark. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There's a one called Home Before Dark by Riley Sager. Anyways, this isn't part of the ad. I was just telling you what other books there were in case you're interested. 
Do you need something to read if you're traveling, going somewhere? Um, please stay healthy. Please stay safe. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. I know we haven't been talking about COVID-19 as much, but the last thing we need is for an outbreak, a resurgence of some kind. God forbid. Um, but anyway, love you. Support your local businesses. Support your economy. So support each other. Let's just all try to be better, do better, and ensure the rest of the year turns out better by uh, doing what we can in our own hearts, minds, and communities to, you know, what what did Rachel Hollis say? I'm just kidding. Be the change. I just want everybody to love and support each other. And I just, I know that's not simple and that's such a dumb thing to even say, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, is it that hard to just like love one another? That's how I feel about religion too. It's like Jesus just like loved people. Like, why are we getting why why did why do things get so complicated and judgmental? You know, I don't know, guys. I'm feeling I don't know how I'm feeling. I'm just gonna ramble on nonsense here, but let's let's wrap up, shall we? As always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. People say God looks out for the working man. Sure hope he's looking out for me. These empty pockets need a helping hand. Kitchen tables full of family. Oh, 